Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacy McKenna, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Sarah Stern, founder and president of Endowment for Middle East Truth, join us to discuss how to reform Middle East studies at American universities. Ms. Stern will speak for five to 10 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We will do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Ms. Sarah Stern. Thank you so much. I have to say, um, I also want to applaud the very, very good work of the Middle East Forum when it comes to this issue, particularly um, Campus Watch and the wonderful work of Winfield Myers and also the wonderful work of Cliff Smith for um, his advocacy on Capitol Hill. Um, Title VI of the Higher Education Act was first um, introduced in the, during the Cold War. In 1957, the um, Soviets launched Sputnik and American citizens felt that the Soviets had an advantage over us because they had um, a, a better knowledge of foreign languages and cultures. So um, in 1958, the first National Defense Education Act was introduced. And um, basically it was to raise a generation of students who would work in the national security defense um, or even in commerce and business for the United States. Then in 1978, um, the lay professor of um, comparative um, languages, English and comparative languages um, from Columbia University, Edward Said, wrote um, a very facile treatise called Orientalism that revolutionized the teachings of um, Middle Eastern studies. Um, and that, okay, so the, um, I should have said before that um, Title VI of the Higher Education Act set aside pots of money to be allocated to various universities for the studies of um, Middle Eastern studies and, um, and other regional and area studies throughout the country. So um, this has been going on and at, um, Edward Said um, had a, a, he was the grand dion of Middle Eastern studies, um, and he had a very simplistic treatise. His treatise was that one um, cannot really be an expert in Middle Eastern studies if one was not a native of the region, i.e. an Arab. So wonderful scholars, such as Ephraim Karsh and Bernard Lewis, and even Daniel Pipes, were set aside um, and um, Edward Said was, you know, the Grand Dion, and he had his disciples um, throughout the universities. Um, and it's become really endemic. Um, Rashad Khalidi now has the Edward, occupies the Edward Said share of um, Middle Eastern studies at Columbia University, Columbia, where I went to school, has a um, Center for Palestine Studies. Um, and of course, the, the, the pure rigorous discipline of Middle Eastern studies has been substituted by nothing more than really paltry propaganda. And it's very hard in five or 10 minutes to do a quick survey 
but um, most of the universities buy into this. Um, and they're in incredibly both anti-Israeli, anti-Arab, and sometimes anti-Semitic. Certainly, if you use the um, State Department's um, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism, which means um, denial of um, the Jewish people of a right to self-determination, then all of them qualify as being anti-Semitic. So in um, 2005, and I'm just going over a lot because I have very little time, but in 2005, um, actually I started working on reforming this in 2008, I was able to pass an amendment to the um, authorization of Title VI of the Higher Education Act. And this amendment called for many things, but it called for, um, um, in order for the universities to be able to receive a grant from the Department of Education, they have to um, demonstrate a wide, um, a diversity of viewpoints and a wide range of perspectives. So it was passed and I thought, yay, we did it, but it was a rather Pyrrhic victory. Um, so I had met together with a huge group of pro-Israel organizations um, on um, January 31st, 2014, under the Obama administration. And the, that was the first time I met with them. And we asked what they were doing to comply with the federal law. And they said that they were unaware of any changes in the federal law. And then, and they said, we have our agency regulations. Um, and I very naively or feigned a naivete. And I, I asked, um, oh, uh, I'm sorry, do um, agency regulations trump the federal law? And they said, oh, no, 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 federal law trumps agency regulations. So then I came back uh, together with a huge group of pro-Israel organizations on October 22nd, 2014. Um, and um, they said that they read the law um, and they felt that some of the readers, when I said, oh, diversity of perspectives and a wide range of viewpoints, and that was inserted into the law, they said some of the readers of the grant application should be black, some should be white, some should be Hispanic, and that was their diversity of perspectives. And I said, I think it's pretty obvious if you read the law that the legislative intent was for a diversity of perspectives within the classroom. So that was under the Obama administration. Then um, under the Trump administration, I met twice um, with them. I called them first and then I um, met with them on March 22nd, 2018. And they were so concerned about the, the substitute of paltry propaganda for a real solid education under um, federal grants that they and, they, and I explained what the law was and they said, okay, from now on, um, people that are applying for the grants have got to write an essay about what it is that um, their universities are doing um, to comply with the statutory requirement for a wide range of viewpoints and a diversity of perspectives. Well, um, they did that. And then a wonderful woman who has a small and very effective think tank called the AMCA Initiative, her name is Tammy Benjamin, did some excellent, excellent work. 
and she realized that of the 15 universities that had received the, the um, grant, a fully eight of them had current directors that either signed something saying that they support BDS, um, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, or they have endorsed and said that they will um, shut down any um, um, Israel abroad programs um, for their students. I should, I, I neglect to say that it is also part of the statute that um, you ha have got to encourage any kind of um, um, access to research and training overseas, um, including through links to overseas institutions. So what Tammy Benjamin and I, and Eliza Lewin, another wonderful woman from another wonderful organization called the Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, um, we went back and we explained uh, uh, again um, to the Department of Education what the problem was. And they, I don't know what, what happened, but they said, we gave you the essay, that's as much as we can do. Um, so this is a, a tremendous issue. We have watched how um, our taxpayers' dollars are going to fund um, political agitprop you know, political propaganda as a paltry substitute for good, solid education. And um, the worst part about this all is that in order to get the funding, the professors who are already incredibly biased against the state of Israel and 99% of them against the United States um, have to do teacher training workshops for teachers to kindergarten through 12th grade. What I like to call this is trickle-down propaganda. And what they use is the Arab World Studies Notebook, highly, highly biased. And that is brought to you by AWARE, which gets its funding by um, the um, um, Saudi Aramco and the government of Saudi Arabia and the Middle East Policy Council, which gets the bulk of its funding basically from Saudi Arabia. So you could just imagine how biased our children's educations are. And this is something that I would really like to, to stop. Um, and we can do this. Um, I think that Cliff Smith has been working really well. He, um, I think, was responsible for some letters um, to the Department of Education. And that's one of the, the best ways, if it goes through Congress to the Department of Education, that's what opened up the investigation in the University of North Carolina. Um, and I think that they've got, we have got to be aware of what our children are being taught. And um, we must, must um, alert our members of Congress. And um, I think that we still have some time, hopefully, um, for us to work on this issue. And to, I would like to see some of these programs shut down. Thanks very much. And now I'd love to take questions. Thank you so much for that excellent description. So the first question we have is, are you hopeful for change or is the campus devolving into leftist relativ relativism? It has already devolved. <laughs> it is very, it is, I can't believe it's sinking lower, but I never cease to be amazed at how low we can sink. Um, I really think the first, 
first, um, I, I believe in change. I wouldn't work so hard on all these issues if I didn't believe in change. And I think the first, first part of this is public awareness. That's why I'm so grateful that you're having me on today to talk about this, because um, I don't think parents understand just how much propaganda their, their students are getting. Um, um, so I, I am very, very hopeful. I think people have got to write to their members of Congress. I'm not quite sure how we can do this through legislation. It's only through letters right now because I had worked very, very closely with a lot of members of Congress on the Education and Labor Committee recently, but it is Ilhan Omar is on that committee. A wonderful member of Congress, Glenn Groffman, went to the mat for us on this issue, and he was shouted down um, um, in committee hearings. So I feel that the best thing is for um, a, the average citizen activist to become aware of what their children are being taught, write to their member of Congress, and, and the member of Congress can write to the Department of Education. Um, I could write it. I wrote an article in um, um, the Jewish Policy Center's um, In Focus um, last um, issue, which really spells out the problem very clearly. Um, if people would like to see that. Um, but I think if people were just aware and they rushed their members of Congress, they'd be outraged. I know most people. Um, save for their students' education. I know that John Hopkins, I have an intern now from Hopkins, and um, it costs about $70,000 a year for them to get, have their minds filled with a sort of political nonsense rather than a good solid education. Thank you. Do you know how other regional studies programs compare to Middle East studies in terms of bias? You know, that's a great question. I've been so focused on just Middle Eastern studies. I don't think that I really do know enough to answer that question. Um, but I would suspect there are biases. Um, I read a study a couple of years ago that I used in a paper I wrote. Um, and it, they said um, universities, when they interview people, wish that they could ask if they were conservative or liberal. Um, but they're not allowed to. But if they could, they would only hire liberal professors. And academia is overwhelmingly liberal, and a lot of them have n not liberal biases in the classic sense of what liberalism should be, you know, but um, radical, I'd say radical biases. Thank you for that. Do you think that the way we use the term diversity is sometimes problematic? I know you discussed this earlier with uh, Hispanic and black and white and where's religion right. and others. But what do you think we can do about that? Right. Yeah, I think um, diversity has become one of those buzzwords that the universities have latched onto. And, you know, they love it and they have diversity studies. They have, you know, and all Western civilization, I think, um, stands for something wonderful. And one of the wonderful things that Western civilization stands for is the sanctity of human life. Yeah. And, and very, very basic great values. Now, in, um, many of these universities have, you know, I think they've 
they've really watered down what an education is, and they have these ethnic studies programs. Hatam Bazian, who started Students for Justice in Palestine, is at um, Berkeley University, and he is the chair of Islamophobic Studies. So I think things have really gotten way, way out of hand with these identity studies programs and diversity. You know, and I really do, I'm one of those old fashioned people that believe in a meritocracy. I believe in Western civilization. I believe that our universities should teach Western values and should teach the great thinkers um, of the West. And I, I think things have really, really gotten watered down and out of hand. Yeah, you would think we would, but um, with all the organizations working on this issue, what have been the impediments to change? Well, I think there's not enough of us, really. Um, I, it seems like there are a lot, but it's like a glacial um, iceberg, and we're just chipping off one little ice chip at a time. When you see how endemic these kinds of biases are through the Middle Eastern studies programs. I mean, I would, you know, at AMIT we do a lot of things. This is just one of our issues. You know, if I, if I had an extra million dollars, I would just have a think tank devoted specifically to this, you know, um, and, and I have to say, Title VI just studies you know, just gives grants to 15 universities, but by now this has replicated itself over and over and over again throughout the entire university system. And um, the Middle Eastern Studies programs have just, you know, become um, dumbed down to um, paltry propaganda. So I don't think there are enough of us. And I, we need a systematic study of every single university, um, of the biases, um, people have got to know. So I think, you know, I know that Cliff um, Smith does many things. We do many things in a Met. This is just one of the issues I've been working on for years and years and years. But, um, you know, this, this could be an institution in and of itself. Thank you so much. Are there any Democratic members of Congress who are participating in reform efforts? I'd like to get to them. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, I don't want to write off an entire half of the aisle. I think that there are good Democrats. Something horrific has happened um, within Congress over the last several years, and everything is so polarized. Um, but it, unfortunately, a lot of the old guard of the Democratic Party um, who might have been interested in these things have retired or um, they don't want to take on these sorts of issues. Um, but I, I'm sure they're still out there. You know, there's just so much shoe le leather I have for pounding the pa pavement. Um, and, but I think that, you know, we, if we knock on enough doors, we could get a, a Democratic member of Congress who is liberal in the classic sense of the word and would be open-minded enough to try to take this on. Thank you so much. So has anyone spoken directly to Secretary DeVos and what has been her response? 
Okay, now I haven't gotten up that far. <laughs> I've, I've met with the person who handles Title VI of the Higher Education Act. Um, there have been three wonderful letters that have been sent, um, one by um, Congressman Denver Riegelman uh, about Georgetown University, he's from Virginia, to the Secretary on December um, 23rd, 2019, um, one from George Holding, um, he's, from, he's a Republican from North Carolina, uh, about Duke and the University of North Carolina on April 15, 2019. And the most recent one was from Paul Gossar um, from, um, from, from Arizona, Republican from about the University of Arizona on February 27th, 2020. Um, and I think Cliff might have had something to do with one, if not all of them. Um, and I'm really um, hopeful that she will respond. Um, it's a real problem because the um, university professors hide behind the term academic freedom, and there was an investigation opened on the about the University of North Carolina, but there was a huge brouhaha about the, um, the investigation, and people thought it was an assault on their free speech and their academic freedom. And I'm sorry to report that the Department of Education caved and their um, University of North Carolina is still getting its funding. Um, and that was after they had an incredibly, incredibly racist event um, where they had a rap singer speaking and saying, we're all anti-Semites here. Um, I think he used the wrong syntax for that. And um, I, so it came to people's attention, but I, this, is, this was for the public. But this is, you know, what the kids are getting in the classroom is just as bad, and many people don't aren't aware of this. Thank you so much. Have you given any thought of attacking these universities' 501CE tax exempt statuses as an educational institution? That's an interesting point. That's a way to go. I'm not sure we can take away their tax exempt status, but there's so many things we can actually get them on. Georgetown University, which has gotten $300 million from Qatar or Qatar, however you pronounce it, um, and has its own branch. Um, there, and um, before that, they got $20 million from the Saudis. Um, all of these all of these universities are out of compliance with the law because they have to register if they get $250,000 or above with the Department of Education. This all came out um, after the Jamal Khashoggi incident where people understood um, that he was sought a Saudi national and all of a sudden somebody said, wow, we might not be able to take any more funding from Saudi Arabia. How much money do we get from Saudi? And the Department of Education hadn't even been aware of this. So in so many ways, these universities are out of compliance with the law um, and they need oversight. You know, they need accountability. Nobody's watching them. And I, it, it takes a lot of informed citizens to know this. Um, so I think, and there's a lot of there are a lot of laws on the books, like the one I just mentioned, that people don't know about. So I think you know there's a way that we can get these universities to um, try to clean up their acts a bit. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Um, so we have a question in about how to expose the academics who have politicized Middle East studies, um, but the detractors then dismiss these as McCarthyite or anti-Arab. How does one counter these fallacious smears? Just document, I mean, when, you know, when, when people, I, just today, um, Juan called, I also have to say, there's another very good organization, and I have no idea who's behind it, Canary Mission, but if you go on their website, you could see some of the outrageous statements that um, these professors make. Um, just today, Juan Cole um, had a tweet um, talking about, like, Israeli genocide against in innocent Palestinians, I mean, that's outrageous. It's just outrageous, you know, and I feel that it's important that you get your facts and, you know, if you can back up everything with facts, then people can say these are just McCarthyite smears, you know, if we've got to like be really careful, dot our I's, cross our T's, and before we wage an allegation, it can't just be a generalized allegation, but we have to know what we're talking about. Thank you so much. And on a closing note, can you just give us the overview of what we can do to, to enact some change, how uh, alumni can reach out to their, their colleges and just, just what can we do? I think we... The best thing is, I think, I mean, I wish that there were a way to get into every single classroom. We can't, especially alumni can't. But you know, see if you could develop relationships with. Um, there's also a wonderful, another wonderful organization, um, the um, Israel Students on Campus, our ICC. Um, um, I, I should. I'll get it. I'll get the the right person. I know that um, Ofer Diane is um, in charge of this. Danny um, Diane's um, Danone. Ofer Danone's um, Danny Danone's. Um, daughter at Columbia University. Um, and we have to be able to work with Hillel's. Um, they should be made to understand how important this is and advertise what students' rights are. I think it's also very important that we let Hillel, Hillel should be posting um, what the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism is so that they know when their professors are making anti-Semitic comments that they should call, they, they, if there's a, a clear, consistent and pervasive attitude of anti-Semitism, they can take the next step and sue through the Department of Civil Rights at the Department of Education, or Office of Civil Rights at the Department of, of Education, um, which my wonderful friend Ken Marcus is now in charge of. So I think, you know, people have got to be informed and um, they have to be aware. Um, and then, you know, if they can, they have to take the next step. Thank you. And in closing, can you just give us your website so our viewers can do a little more research? Sure. Um, it's www.emet, E-M-E-T, like the truth in Hebrew, emet online, it's one word, dot O-R-G. Thank you so much for having me on, and it's wonderful to partner with the Middle East Forum. I've had 
tremendous respect for Daniel Pipes for many, many years. He's on my board of advisors. And, um, you know, you do good work. And we're a small organization. We have to partner with others. Um, and Campus Watch does wonderful work as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciated hearing you speak on this topic. We have unfortunately come to the close of our webinar. As a note, we will not be hosting webinar this coming Monday as it's Memorial Day, but please do join us each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Ashley Perry to brief us on current Israeli affairs. Also, please be sure to check out our website, meforum.org, our YouTube channel, and SoundCloud for recordings of past webinars. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.